We are continuing to speak on the resurrection from, from 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. But before I get into the message, I would just like to share just something short about finances that is on my heart. Those of you that are in our web church know that we basically never speak about money. But I would like to just speak about this. You know, I mean, it is 2019. I've never even uh, thanked everybody properly for their support and how they are supporting the ministry. I want to thank everybody that ministers financially towards Dynamic Love Ministries. Your gifts are appreciated and it is used for the spreading of the gospel and for me and Elena to live. It is awesome to see that people willingly want to give towards the ministry and we want to thank you for that. All of you that give, be it large amounts, small amounts, thank you for your giving. I also want to thank those who faithfully give on a regular basis. It's a blessing to know that we're getting a certain amount of money and that we can do what we want to do in preaching the gospel on television stations, advertise on social media, and just getting the message out there, reaching churches, preaching at schools, um, helping with the planting of churches, and so forth. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your financial contributions towards Dynamic Love Ministries. And the way it works here in the support of this ministry is it is only accepted as long as what it is willing Meaning that we will not promise you and use scripture to tell you that you're going to get 20 things from God should you uh, minister financially towards us or support the work of God. Neither do we say that there's going to be an open door because you give or anything like that. What we can say is in this support that you give, people will hear the message Eliana and I will live and we will preach the gospel with that and we don't have to spend our time on a normal job where we have to work a normal job but where we can give our attention and I can put my time towards studying the scriptures and preaching the gospel. And what we can promise you is that people will hear the gospel, some will accept it and some will reject it. Uh, but there is a lot that do accept and lives that are uh, being changed so uh, the scripture says that the gift comes from a willing heart and what we see is that when the gospel has worked in your heart and you feel generosity born from you and you want to give freely then we have what the bible calls the apostolic right and the apostolic right is either to receive it or to reject it uh, and uh, should Yelian uh, and I look at somebody that gives and we find in our heart that it is truly meeting the criteria, which is that it is born from the grace of God, it is born from love in a person's heart, and they feel that they want to give either, uh, I, I mean out of generosity, either as an expression of gratitude or support for what is being preached, then we will receive it. If it doesn't meet that criteria, we will not receive it. And that is how we function in this ministry. So uh, those of you that are giving, thank you so much. Those of you that want to give, uh, you can go to our website and you can go and look at the, I mean, the donate button is there and we've got something written there about giving. 
Uh, and you can also listen to our messages on finances, wherein we teach freedom from the bondage of the fear of not having. Uh, we teach on contentment, wherein to- contentment is the greatest gift you can have as pertaining to finances in this world. And uh, if you want to give, you can. Those of you that give regularly, thank you so much for that. And those of you that don't give towards this ministry, but you are still enjoying everything that's on the website and so forth, thank you for allowing us to serve you. Uh, This is what it's about. It is about blessing people. Amen. I would just like to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for everybody that is supporting this ministry those people that are involved financially in this ministry, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the goodness that you have towards us. And thank you that we can, as a team, work together. I thank you, Father, that unto them, you just continue your provision as you always have. Thank you, Father, for the freedom that they have, the liberality where they are so liberated that they can actually share in your life, which is generosity. And Father, we receive it in gratitude towards you and in the blessing of knowing that we can share your gospel and live out of your hand through these people in whom you have produced generosity. Amen and amen. Right, let us get right into the scripture 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, those of you that, have, um, that don't have notes in front of you, if you want the notes, please just go to um, send an email to info at dynamicministries.com and request the notes. We send them out either on a Wednesday or on a Thursday prior to the service. Uh, and it would be nice for you to go through that because there's a lot of additional information um, Quotes from uh, uh, different parts of the Bible as well as uh, commentaries. And just as I make my study, I, I do these notes. I never used to do them like this in detail. I would study them, jot them down and uh, just use them for myself to preach. But I've decided to make it available for all of you. Because you can be a pastor that want to teach someone. And you want to uh, teach your leaders and then you have this and it just saves you a lot of work and also gives you a head start so that when you put in your time into study, you will even see more uh, than what I have uh, put down here. Okay, 1 Corinthians fifteen twelve. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now, those of you that follow these teachings, you would say, but Bertie, have we not already passed that? We are in verse 19. We're supposed to go to verse 20. Yes, but you know, in this week as I was reading up, I just realized that there is so much more. And I would like to just give the historic setting wherein 1 Corinthians 15 was written so that we can understand why it would be possible that people would go and say that there is no resurrection. Because we find that there were people, according to verse 1 here, that have received the gospel. And then they turned away from the gospel. And we today uh, look back and think, you fool, how can you ever have done that? That is impossible. It is impossible for somebody that has received the message 
to ever turn away from the message. That cannot be. But let me just explain to you the situation uh, and the background wherein these people lived. The first point that I want to look at, you will see there in your notes, is the Greek beliefs on account of the Hellenization and living, uh, and the point is that they would want to live in peace with what other people also believed. So back then, before Christ came, it was basically a Greek world, then then it became Roman, and this uh, Greco-Roman world was flooded with Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism was basically the belief that all matter is evil and that man would attain unto, that man is actually a spirit and that this spirit then, after man has died, will be delivered from the body and live in a better state. That was the, the, the I would say, the biggest uh, belief back then was a Gnostic way of belief. There were many others as well, but I believe that was the biggest influence. Now, imagine that you are in a world where most people believed that there is no such a thing as resurrection. If you go and read the, the poems of Homer and all those things, and you look read, read the history of that time, you will find that there was consensus about one thing, and that is that nobody ever gets back from the dead. That was something they agreed on. They disagreed on the gods. They disagreed on all the ceremonies. There were so many things they disagreed on, but there was one thing that there was consensus about, and that is once a person has died, he never comes back from the dead to live forever. That is impossible. It was not believed. Now, in the Roman setting, we, had to un- we have to understand that because they came and colonized so many places in which there were all different religions, <coughs> it was uh, difficult to come to and to accommodate a religion which was against all the others. So if you come and say that there is a resurrection from the dead, you are already against everyone. And back then, in these times, <coughs> they hated the Christians uh, in their teaching of the resurrection because you need to understand that the uh, Romans, if they've crucified someone, they've declared him an enemy of Rome, <coughs> They've declared him cursed. They wouldn't even, they would take their bodies and throw it on a heap where the ravens could eat it. They were absolutely cursed. Now, in this Roman world, if you would do anything against Rome, you, <laughs> you were facing death. You would be jailed, tortured, and most probably killed. Now imagine in this world setting, and this is the second point I want to make. The first point is you, they, they wanted to live in harmony with other beliefs. <clears throat> Don't want to always be the odd one out. If they could easily incorporate the resurrection into saying, well, this is now how our spirits are raised and actually then go to heaven in a higher world. So they could, they could find common ground. The second thing is, which sorry, let me just get back to the point, which would make it easier for them to live. 
The per- first point is an easy life. We don't fight with people. Fighting all the time, differing from everybody, and you stand for this message of the resurrection. Uh, I, I mean, it was difficult. Secondly, should you declare that someone that was crucified by Rome is now king? He's raised, and now he's king. What are you actually saying? You are saying to Rome that they are powerless, that they could not kill your king, and that he physically rules over them, and that he is the king. Now, Caesar wouldn't take it to say that there is any other king. So immediately, you were setting yourself up to a place where you were to be put into death and persecution. Persecution, torture, and death frowned upon by saying that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. So you find that people and the, uh, uh, would easily be influenced because the fear of death, the persecution of your children and so forth would be in the subconscious mind of people. And then you would find the Sadducees, you would find these uh, Greek philosophers, people that get saved and after they got saved still didn't get rid of their uh, Hellenistic beliefs and uh, uh, Gnosticism and bringing that into the church. One can understand that. Like I said, you would stand against Rome um, you would basically take the power out of, out of the hand of Rome because Rome threatened people with death. And now you come and you say, well, we've conquered death. And if you go and read history, you will find that, especially in this time, when anybody came with something that would make people not afraid of death, then Rome would be against that. Because if people aren't afraid of death, they can do anything. And we've seen that even in our modern day history. If you're not afraid to die, anything can take place. Anything can happen. So the um, background of this whole scenario in Corinth was that there were a lot of persecution, a lot of wrong beliefs out of which people came. Another point I want to bring in here The people that preached that Jesus was raised, some of them has now already died. I think that would bring a big thing to people's mind on was our interpretation of the resurrection then wrong. We talk about the Roman persecution and we talk about wanting just to live in peace with everybody. I think that creates a good enough platform that it might be possible that some people might say that there is no resurrection. And in the light of what Paul is teaching here, we can find that there will be people that say there is absolutely no bodily resurrection and no resurrection of the Spirit. And then there would be a group, if you read the history here, that would also say and redefine the resurrection. And that we can go and read further on when they asked Paul, uh, you might say, but with what body will these res- uh, will the resurrection be? Because they thought that this body would be a spirit and not a physical body. And that is a little bit of the background which I thought would be interesting for you. So let us summarize that. The scenario that they lived in was life-threatening, 
flooded with Gnosticism, uh, in Corinth, a lot of Greek influence, arguments and fighting between people, a desire to also live in peace with other people. Another point that we can uh, bring in here is easy evangelism. If you, if you can tell people, listen, what you already believe is already 90% true, the only thing that makes it possible is the resurrection of Jesus, it would be easier to evangelize. So there are many things that played a role wherein people could be tempted to change their view of the resurrection. But Paul comes and he says and he defines the resurrection as something uh, physical. Now, I forgot to bring the notes, but uh, I forgot my, uh, um, the wisdom of Solomon. But I asked you guys to, bring, uh, to, to print out the wisdom of Solomon, which I sent to you. The book of the wisdom of Solomon is one of the books in the Apocrypha. Now, uh, that book is not part of our canon. Yet the Apostle Paul uses it 70, 76 times in his letter to Romans, 24 times in his letter to the people in Corinth. That is what he does. And when we look at the background of that passage, we find that, thank you, Eliana, um, we find that the, uh, this book of the wisdom of Solomon describes what the people in that time believed. And it helps us to see what the background was, what they would define as death, and what Paul would believe death was. I don't believe that the book of the wisdom of Solomon should be in the canon. It, uh, it's not uh, important to put in there because whatever it says, Paul has already summarized and put uh, in his letter to the Romans, to the Corinthians. Things like we will reign over angels and we will reign over nations in the new kingdom and those kind of things was found here. And one of the things that was found and that we clearly see here is what these people thought about death and what death was. One of the views about death was complete annihilation, wherein you are just nothing. And like I said, uh, one of the views was that nobody can ever come back from the dead. And I'm going to read that from the Wisdom of Solomon, uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, For they have said, reasoning in themselves but not right, the time of our life is short and tedious, and the end of a man, at the end of man there is no remedy, and no man has been known to have returned from hell or the abode of the dead. For we are born of nothing, and this and this shall we be as if we have not been. For the breath of our nostril is smoke, the speech a spark to move our hearts, which being put out, our bodies shall be ashes, our spirit shall be poured abroad as soft air, and our life shall pass away in the trace of a cloud, and shall be dispersed as a mist which is driven away by the beams of the sun, and overpowered with the heat thereof. And our name shall be forgotten, and no man shall have any remembrance of our works. For our time is passing of a shadow, and there is no going back of our end, for it is far sealed, and no man returns. Come therefore, let us enjoy good things uh, that are present. Let us speedily use the creatures as our youth. Let us fill ourselves with costly wine and ointment and let, uh, and let not the flower of the time pass us by. So what he is saying here 
And this we find a Paul also mentioning in his writing. If you read uh, a bit later on, he says, if there's no resurrection, why don't we just uh, drink, eat, and die? And where did Paul get that thing from? If there is no resurrection, let us drink, eat, and die. It means that the Apostle Paul in this Roman Greco world also adopted the system which was written down here in the book of the book of wisdom wherein he basically said if there is no resurrection there is nothing for us there has to be a bodily physical resurrection in order for us to have anything that is what he is pointing to now with that in mind let us go to verse 20 it says here, but now is Christ risen from the dead, and he became the first fruit of them that are slept. So Paul comes to his conclusion now, and he says, listen, Christ is risen from the dead. How was Jesus risen from the dead? There was no bones in his grave. He rose from the dead in a physical human body wherein he is now seated at the right hand of God. And the beautiful thing that Paul comes and brings in here, he says, but now if Christ be risen from the dead and beca became the first fruit of them that are slept. For since, verse 21, by man death came, and death there in the, uh, 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 in the mind of Paul, if we go and look at uh, further on, we will still get to that passage, is the mindset of the Roman Greek world of that time, which was that let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Like one of these Greek sayings was, I was not, I am, I will not be, why worry? So what? And that was engraved on many of the gravestones of the people of that time. They believed that they would just be nothing. But, and that there is no way you can get out of death. So let us just enjoy life now. And here Paul comes. He used the same logic. But he says, listen, there's a way out. There is a way back. And that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He basically says, if there is no resurrection, let us eat, drink, and die. For why would we suffer the way we suffer if there is no bodily resurrection. And he says here that Jesus Christ in his resurrection became the first fruit. First fruit is mentioned in different places. You'll see there in the notes Romans 8, 23, 11, 16, 16, 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 20, or 15, 20, and so forth. And you can go, do yourself a favor, go and read those verses and see what first, first fruit mean. First fruit would be the first of something that is still to come. The first fruit you would see on a tree looks exactly like the fruit that is to come. So what he's saying is that this Jesus Christ in his resurrection was the first of many to have the exact same experience. We find a cross-reference to this basically. I can say it's a cross-reference. Um, you'll find in your cross-references, although the context is a little bit different, but let's read it, Romans 8.23. It says, And not only they, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to witness the redemption of our body. So what is Paul saying? He says, We have the Holy Spirit, 
which comes from the first fruit, which is Christ, bring also a first reaction in our lives on account of the resurrection, and yet we are now waiting for the redemption of our bodies. So he's saying that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead bodily, and he is the first of many to have exactly the same. The Greek-Roman mindset would read this passage, and unfortunately this is how the church reads it as well, when it talks about the redemption of our body, it reads it as the redemption from our body. We will not have a redemption from our body, we will have a redemption of our body. Back in that Greek-Roman world, they believed that all matter is evil, which was standing in contradiction with what the Jews believed. If you go and read First and Second Maccabees and uh, this Wisdom of Solomon and many, many other writings of the time, which was written in Greek by Jews, you would find that they used these uh, Gnostic uh, uh, ways of thinking and incorporate the Jewish idea which was that matter is not evil, but matter is good. Because God, when he created the heaven and the earth, he said, and behold, everything is good. Now, if we are good, if matter is good, if this world is good, if people are good, why would God let that which is good go to waste and just die? Because then God has lost what is good? The thing is that something bad happened with what is good and God came in Jesus Christ and he came to save man and save what is good from a very bad thing that's happening to it. For God's plan has always been to have heaven and earth collide and have an earth with people which would be equally equal with him with whom he can have a powerful friendship and to whom he can actually give the kingdom which is a great concept that we still have to a great bridge that we still have to cross and we will do that not in this session but in this whole thing that we're doing in first corinthians 15 the whole concept of the kingdom uh, you know when i read it and i see how that kingdom works and uh, when we will receive the kingdom and what that is I prayed, I said, oh God, you need to help me to explain this to the church because we have not seen what this kingdom actually means and what it means on receiving the kingdom, when we'll receive the kingdom and what it would look like. But it is clear in 1 Corinthians and we will still talk about that. Um, so what it says here is in verse 24, this is Romans eight twenty-four, that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for it, that which we see not, then we do it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray or how we ought to pray, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Jesus Christ is the first fruit of many to be. I shared this with a friend of mine. He said to me, but Bertie, so when is this fullness now manifesting? As if we now have a frustration saying, okay, we, we are just postponing the hope and that leaves us powerless. And I can understand where we in the Grace Church want to be at a place where we say, well, everything has happened. 
Nothing more needs to happen. And we've got everything now. Now, that is a great thing to say because we immediately have this move, have from us removed the feeling of lack. But if you go and check your heart, you will still feel deep in your heart there is something more to be manifested. And how do you deal with that inner voice that tells you there is still something that must take place? The only way you can deal with it is by looking at how at what God has promised, looking at what is outstanding. And if you can identify what is outstanding, and you can see that God made it His responsibility to bring that, you will not walk in this earth being tempted by the devil to manifest what God has promised. What God has promised us is that Jesus is the first fruit, and we that have received uh, the, the Spirit, we are waiting for the adoption to see the manif full manifestation in our bodies. And Paul comes and he says here that while we have this, this hope keeps us secure. It protects our minds. The Bible calls this the helmet of the hope of salvation. So we've got a salvation that still needs to take place, which is wherein our bodies shall be saved from physical death, wherein we in our bodies will be immortal. We are waiting for that. But while we are waiting for that, we know that in our flesh we are weak. Therefore, we will not be tempted to find justification by our flesh, for we've already concluded that we cannot do that. We've already concluded that. And that keeps us safe. And, the, and Paul says here that that saves us. Saves us from what? Saves us from living in fear today. Saves us from uh, being crushed down by persecution and oppression and negative, negative things that happens to us. Naked peril, the sword, and so forth. Whatever he mentioned in Romans chapter 8. So let me try and summarize this. Jesus Christ is the first fruit, meaning there will be many like that. We are not yet seeing that, but the Spirit that will bring that immortal body forth is poured out in our hearts, and now that Spirit of life which is inside us, whereby we hope for this resurrection, waiting that, that our bodies will be made immortal, as we wait upon that, this spirit of Christ, that raised Christ from the dead, strengthens us now, encourages us now. And the way that spirit encourages us is with signs of life calling, called love and peace and joy and so forth. Glory to God. Paul is in verse 20, if we continue in the notes there, he's explaining that Jesus, as the last Adam, was introducing death. Jesus is introducing the making alive of all things that are experiencing death as active in them. Paul is using the first fruit analysis, declaring more of the same that is to be manifested, creating an expectation or a belief that humans can expect what happened to Jesus to happen to them. Glory to God. And then now we go to verse 21. Paul now further explains what this resurrection looks like. He says, For since by man death, complete and utter death, came, by man also is 
introduce the complete and utter resurrection from the dead. I believe that Paul is talking about a complete and utter resurrection, not just a spirit resurrection, but a complete and utter resurrection. And in uh, the next next Sunday, we're going to look at what the resurrected body would look like. But it is an utter resurrection because the death was an utter death. In Paul's mind, death was in line with what the book of the wisdom of Solomon had in mind. A Greek-Roman mindset of death. Death, mentioned as in Genesis, dust you are, unto dust you will return. So he believes that this resurrection has to be a complete, utter resurrection. For those of you that watch the communion before the service, we find that the word of God is quick or alive, distributing life to spirit, soul, and body, as well as the thought and the intent of the heart. Can you see how the word of life or the, the message of Jesus' resurrection is a distributor of life to every part of the human being? Because every part is in need of resurrection life. For the death Adam introduced was an utter death. Now, in the notes, I've uh, put a lot in there that you can go and read. Um, let's go to verse 22 for time's sake. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, when Paul talks about in Adam all die, that scripture was greatly used uh, to promote universalism because it says in Adam all people died, And now in Christ all people shall be made alive. But that would be ad hoc in connection with the context of 1 Corinthians 15. Ad hoc means to have a special argument that is not found other other places in the scripture just to explain one verse. Simple way of saying you cannot build a doctrine on one verse with just a special interpretation of that verse. The context here is, in Adam all die. When he say in Adam all die, I believe it means in Adam every part of the human being dies. On account of what Adam did, spirit, soul and body, death is administered in every area. If the word of life is quick and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder or, in the Greek, distributing life, to spirit, soul, and body, we cannot but conclude that in Adam all or everything dies. I would have translated that passage as, for in Adam everything dies, and we find that in Genesis, when Adam, uh, Adam had dominion, and when he entered into death, God explained to Adam what death would be. He said, you would return to the dust of the earth, And then, in Adam, everything dies, even creation. He said, cursed is the field now. Cursed is everything now because of you. That is why Paul can come in Romans chapter 8, and he can say, even creation waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For in Adam all die, and in Christ all, all things, or all parts, will be made alive. Um, 
I've got a lot of notes there that you can go and look at, and this will really, really bless you. Uh, you will see in my notes there I've got in the light of 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read that quickly. The word all, in the, con- um, in the context of what kind of body we will receive in the resurrection is important. All is always defined in the context of the thought that is communicated and in the background it is set in, which in this case is Gnosticism and the belief of the Sadducees. In the case of Gnosticism, the belief uh, that we leave the material and move on into immaterial spirals is cardinal. We need to understand that. So what he is saying here, and you can go and read this on, I put it in the notes there, what he said is that Paul actually is trying to say that in Adam, it is not the spirit that still stays alive and uh, where you can continue with a Gnostic belief, actually making nothing of the bodily resurrection of Jesus. In Adam, guys, everything dies. But in Christ, people, everything is made alive. So let us move. And what Paul is doing, he is getting Gnosticism out of the mind of the people in Corinth, which was flooded with that. That is what he is what he, what he's, what he's busy with. I've addressed in the notes the universalism part there and everything. But what it says in verse 23 there, it says then, uh, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit, after that they that are Christ's at his coming. So verse 21, let me read verse 21. And then verse, uh, oh sorry, verse 22 and then verse 23. For... As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Then verse 23 now defines that the all cannot be all people even if they have not believed in Jesus. Because verse 23 says, but every man in his own order. Christ the first fruit. So Christ is the first one that was made alive in every area. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. So who would be made alive? Those that are Christ's at his coming. How much of them would be made alive? Or what parts of them would be made alive? All would be made alive. For the word of God is powerful, dividing asunder or distributing life to spirit, soul and body as well as the thought and the intent of the heart. So, I believe that when, when he comes and he says that all shall be made alive, I believe he, just, he doesn't talk about all people. He talks about all parts of man. Because the Gnostics believed that the spirit has got immortality and not the body. So we don't worry about a bodily resurrection. We can put this bodily resurrection thing aside and we can just continue with the belief as what the church had for many years in the world and is basically all over the world what, what they believe. They believe in a bodily resurrection, but it's on the back burner. There's, there's no um, true understanding of what it means. And Paul yet calls that a, a true understanding of that, that that will save the world from being in the flesh today. Living holy lives. Okay, uh, verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruit of them, that they, they that are Christ. Verse 24. Then after that the end, 
When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even to the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all is made alive. Now verse 24. It says here that, uh, the, uh, uh, that in verse 25, it says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So we find that there are enemies of Christ in this world. We're not talking about people. We're talking about things. And it is for Jesus to conquer everything that doesn't have life in it and to provide life in every area of life. That is what Jesus has to do, including your body. That is what it's all about. Now, now next service, we're going to talk more about that. But just let's, let me put this in. Let's think of imperialism after a country is being taken over. If somebody comes and takes over a country, let's say the English come, I've used this example before, they come and they take over South Africa. South Africa would still be full of South Africa even after the English has taken over South Africa. And then the job, uh, then the king would come and he would say, listen, I'm putting a, a lord or a ruler inside South Africa, and his job is to uh, make South Africa English, that it looks like England. And then when it is safe enough, and when it is basically a good extension of England, and it looks like England, and functions like England, we will find that the king or the queen would then come and visit here, or can even come and stay here. Because it became English. And that is the context or the, 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 in the back of the mind of the Apostle Paul. They must remember that Rome, what they did, they had all these colonies. And then they would go and put strong leaders there to make it like Rome. And then the Caesar would come and dwell there. And this is what he says. Jesus has to come and make all things alive. He must come and make all things alive. So I want to say to you, that does not exclude any part of you. That's your thoughts, your mind, your body, everything. It is Jesus' problem to see life come to you. It is for you sorting out my life. And I believe in that and I expect that. The moment you live with that belief in your heart, no part of you shall be excluded. And I can promise you, according to the scriptures, that even signs of bodily immortality shall start, shall start to show in the church. You will find in your life or in your family's life, the signs of that would be things mentioned in Mark 16, which is things like miracles. Sick people get healed. What's that a sign of? It's a sign of the rule of the Messiah and what it promises. Glory to God. Uh, I want to read 1 Corinthians 15, 29, and then we'll get back. We've got another 10 minutes left. Let me read 1 Corinthians 15, 29. It says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then 
baptized for the dead. Now it says, and, and I don't want to focus on baptized for the dead. I've put beautiful notes in there by uh, Dr. McKnight that explains what that baptism of the dead means. It simply means baptized with, with the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in mind and how these people, when they were baptized on account of a message that people preached about the resurrection and these people that have preached it has already died, so they were baptized for those people that has already died or on account of those people expecting a resurrection. Now he says here, if people are baptized on account of the death and the resurrection of Christ and on account of a message that people preach that has already died, how will they be baptized into this message if they are not expecting a resurrection? But the beautiful part of it is um, the, where it says, if the dead rise not at all. That word at all there in the Greek means holy. Not holy as in an H, but completely, as a complete being. In the Afrikaans it says, Hoe sal hulle vir die dode laat doop, as die dode nie geheel en al, by die dode het opgewek word nie, geheel en al, meaning, how will these people be willing to be baptized knowing that other people has died for their faith, knowing that they also going to die if they believe in this truth, if there is not a complete resurrection, spirit, soul, and body. That is what he is saying there. So in verse 29, we find that Paul is coming to the conclusion that the resurrection is whole, W, with a W, holy, a whole resurrection. Like the Bible says, I pray in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 uh, Thessalonians 5, 23, it says, I pray that you may be preserved holy, spirit, soul, and body. You understand the whole there? He says, how do some of you say that there is no resurrection? Since in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. You shall be raised wholly, completely, meaning there is a bodily resurrection. And then in the mind of Paul, what he is seeing is the weakness of man, the source of sin, the source of what causes corruption and decay in the world is in the body. He mentions that in Romans chapter 8. He says that Jesus Christ came to condemn sin in the flesh. How did he condemn sin in the flesh? To be the first fruit, the first one raised holy, to then have no sin, so that he can aid us by condemning sin in the flesh, so that we can have holy, with an H, flesh which can live forever, which can then inherit the kingdom. So, um, when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, we find that Paul went into great depth, and he had a great emphasis on understanding that the resurrection was not a Gnostic resurrection, or just an extension of Gnosticism wherein you slap the name of Jesus upon it, but wherein you find that, but Paul is trying to say that flesh is good, flesh is not bad. 
and flesh can be raised. And he was speaking to people that believed that there is no such a thing that anybody can ever be raised from the dead to live and never die in a physical body. That there was no way. And he comes and he says, listen, in Adam all die. Everything dies. But in Christ everything is made alive. How will people be willing to be baptized just to be martyred if baptized on the message of the death and the resurrection of Christ because we get baptized into his death so that in the likeness of his resurrection we shall have newness of life he was arguing Paul was arguing if people are being baptized on account of the death and the resurrection of Jesus how would they be baptized and how could the message not have included a bodily resurrection that they would if there is no resurrection at all that at all doesn't mean as we hear at all it means as a complete resurrection a whole resurrection he says how will people be baptized into the death and the resurrection of jesus if there is not a all resurrection everything gets raised that is what he is talking about now the next question that as i even preach this i can feel you would say but what would that body look like and that is what paul is basically addressing um, as you as we continue here i'm going to end off just to emphasize that paul is talking about a complete resurrection because now in 1 corinthians 15:30 he is basically having the, uh, the book of the wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2. You can go and read it there again. He's got that in mind, wherein the people were saying, there's nobody coming back from the dead. Uh, let us just eat, drink, and die, that kind of a thing. Here Paul comes and he says, um, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Jesus Christ. I die daily. If after... The matter of men I have fought with beasts in Ephesus. What advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. There he quotes. Remember, um, Paul in Romans quotes from and uh, relates to the book of the wisdom of Solomon 76 times. Now, I'm not saying go and read that book to, and make it your Bible. Not at all. What I'm saying is, in there we get a better understanding of what was in the mind of Paul when he talked about death and resurrection. If we take that history also into account. So here Paul says, why will I die daily? Daily, I'm at a place. Now, we've taken that spiritual. I die daily, daily I, lay, I take up my cross. What Paul was saying here when he says die daily, I'm daily standing in jeopardy. I'm daily at a place where I can be killed any time, bodily. Why would I go through all of that if there is no bodily resurrection? If there is no bodily resurrection, Paul's conclusion is, if there's no bodily resurrection, let us eat, drink, and just enjoy this life. Why persecution? Why fight with anybody? Why stand against Rome? Why being whipped and beaten? For if there is no bodily resurrection, Paul is basically saying, then I am going into nothingness. I'm going back to nothing. So the only hope I have is a bodily resurrection. That is what Paul is teaching. Can you see how 
emphatic Paul is about this. In the mind of Paul, and I tell you, I, I didn't just read this in somebody's message. I studied this out. It takes weeks. But I read the history. I read things. And I, I come to the conclusion that in the mind of Paul, there would be no existence for us outside of a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ since it was granted to man from the beginning to have his existence in this body, in physicality. The most beautiful thing is that this physicality that we have now can be glorified into a higher physicality, a more beautiful physicality that is not subject to death. And that is what Jesus Christ is the first of what he has promised us and what we will look at in next week's message. Glory to God. I'm so excited about this. As you hear this, you will find you as a whole feel you're valuable. It's not a thing of a part of me is valuable. You start to feel me as a whole, I'm valuable. You look at other people, you feel them as a whole, they are valuable. You, don't th- you start to relate to them not as just a ghost living in a body, but you start to relate to them as as the, a human, as, as the very creation of God in every part, where every part shall be preserved. Glory to God. Next week, we're going to look at what the glorified body looks like. It's going to be awesome. I want to thank you so much for watching this. And I want to encourage you, if what you are hearing here sounds uh, challenging to you, um, the best thing you can go and do is pray with an honest heart to God and hear what He says and ask Him to help you. Ask Him to show you. You know, I cannot preach you're trying, trying to copy another man. I can't preach this trying to just find favor with all churches and just live in peace um, by changing certain things just to have peace. No. One thing that the Lord has put in my heart is what I believe I'm going to preach. doesn't matter if people accept or don't accept. But what I can tell you is I've seen the power of this message and what it has done in my life, the hope it's brought in my life, the passion it's brought in my life, the power it has brought in my life. I experience what Paul is saying. I am being saved by hope. I experienced that salvation. I experienced the intercession of the Holy Spirit wherein He intercedes and intervenes with uh, words that cannot be uttered. Um, what, I, what, I, what I think that is, is He's not loving me in word only, but He is loving me in action. He is bringing forth the fruit of the life of God in me today wherein I find that this word of life, the word of the resurrection, is now a discerner. It discerns what my thoughts are. It's the thing that discerns the intent of my heart. And I am starting to experience more and more of the life of God. This message might sound very complicated, and it is very complicated to the Gnostic mind, because in Gnosticism, what I talk about is a taboo. 
And sadly, the church has been infiltrated with Gnosticism. But to us who have seen this truth, we cannot find a more simplistic gospel. This is a very simple message. If you've listened to all of this and say, that is very complicated. Wait, it is simple. It is the simple gospel. This is the simple gospel. God made man. He promised immortality unto man. And he's conquered all of death. And you don't have to try and live by your own power. He's given immortality to the complete human and proved it in the resurrection of Jesus. Trust him. Amen. That's the beginning and the end of the gospel. That's the good news. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for your love towards uh, me and this ministry and just the gospel. And your passion for the Gospels. I see many of you are passionate about this message. I will see you then again next week. God bless.